Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Summit Bid Podcast. I'm Kemper. My name is Toby. And we, this is just like last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago, wasn't it? It was Mm -hmm. two weeks ago. It was the news story about the Sony, and that was kind of it. And then now there's many, many news stories to talk about. Indeed. Um, The the camera world is waking up out of its winter slumber. Indeed. There's a ton of lenses, firmware updates, and big camera coming from Canon. I'm sure we're going to have to talk about uh, literally a big camera. Literally a gigantic camera coming from Canon. So. But um, before we get into that, uh, Tamron's coming out with a couple of new lenses for Sony. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, I mean, they're both way cool, but one of them super interests me that, uh, that well, the, I mean, gosh, both of them are cool. Is the 11 to 20, um, is it APS-C or is that full frame? So it's just APS-C and I can tell you how I can tell. Uh, the um, it says just E in the name, not EF, and that always means APS-C. So oh, or you mean FE? You mean FE? Yeah, FE. Yeah, right. EF is Canon, but uh, well, I mean that would be really cool if they did an eleven to twenty full frame lens. <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> but, but it actually, I mean, I used to shoot Sony E mount, um, the A sixty six hundred. I've used a lot of those cameras. That's probably the one of the best vlogging lenses ever made because it's going to be a. It's basically a sixteen to thirty, sixteen to thirty two point eight. Yeah, no, it's going to be great on those. Um, and you know, pro zooms for APS-C that oftentimes is what's really holding it back. So I mean, that's that's going to be a fantastic video lens. I, I always think that the the problem with that kind of lens for like landscape photography or something mm. is always going to kind of land on, um, it just doesn't have the resolution. Like the, the highest resolution you can get for Sony E mount is APS-C of course, uh, is 24. So right, right, I mean, just right. with those big shots, big wide shots, you're oftentimes looking for a little more than that. But I mean, still really cool to see at least somebody not Sony is releasing lenses for, their APS-C cameras. Right. And Sony hasn't released anything significant since that 16 to 55, 28 and that mm-hmm. 70 to 350. Yeah. Right. So, and it's completely being bolstered by, uh, Sigma and, uh, Tamron because Tamron has the 17 to 70 2.8. They're releasing this 11 to 20 2.8. And then, uh, I used Sigma's, uh, little, Primes, yeah, those super primes. amazing primes. And yeah, those were so sharp, super fast. The autofocus was great on them. Um, but I think that uh, Sony doesn't seem particularly concerned, too. Yeah, I just do not get the vibe that any of these companies are really super APS-C focused anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be around, but I just think that, and that's a discussion for another day. The mm-hmm. the shift up in in camera buyers to enthusiasts and professionals being the main driving force mm-hmm. of sales. But that'll be a bigger conversation for another day because that that's involved. But the other lens that Tamron's got coming up is the 150 to 500. And that is, that's good. Um, if this lens is high quality, it's kind of a game changer for, uh, you know, the overused term game changer. But I really didn't care for Sony's 100 to 400. I know some people really love it, but I think there's a lot of copy variants with that lens. Mm-hmm. 
just like there is, there seems to be an issue with a lot of Sony lenses, particularly in that era. So, you know, I don't, and then uh, I believe Dustin Abbott has a video that kind of shows it versus the older Canon uh, 100 to 400. And it really just, the, the older Canon one was better. And I always felt like it was. Um, so this lens, like Tamron's done some really good stuff with like the, the 28 to 75 was really sharp. And then the mm-hmm. 70 to 180 was, I felt sharper than the, than the Sony 7200 mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It didn't have VR, which was kind of its, its issue, but I really liked that lens. So I'm optimistic that this, uh, 150 to 500 is going to be a great, a great steal for Sony E-mount and, yeah, I think that if you're a Sony user, that you should definitely be excited for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's thir- it's fourteen hundred, so yeah. I I am very interested in this lens. I'm, I'm f- for the price that it's going to be, which is fourteen hundred. There's a, a sliver of me that would want to go all the way for the two hundred to six hundred, just Toby, for the sake of. I think our our listeners might be wondering why you might be interested in this lens, considering that you shoot on a Z six two. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I have some uh, some unfortunate news for people that were looking forward to uh, somebody that actually shoots video with Nikon. I switched to Sony, but the A7S III was the draw was just it, too much. It wasn't an issue so much with the Nikon as it mm-hmm. was just you needed what the A7S III brought to the table. Yeah, and I, I before. Uh, before now, I just didn't really have the justification to get it and just doing so much more work with my camera every week. Um, and, uh, it's a more important part of our business and yeah, other stuff we yeah. work for. So, um, I finally decided you're, you're looking at the a7s3 right now. The, the, the footage, the, this is in a7s3. The lowest quality 4k it can shoot. Um, <laughs> and in the standard <laughs> picture profile. So right, because these podcasts that just. It works better to have mm-hmm. it. The workflow just it needs to be shot, mm-hmm. edited, and published most of the time in the same day. Sometimes it's the next morning, so yeah. it is it, the workflow helps it just keep it down, keep, yeah. that, keep that quality down. Indeed, and uh, you know I'm gonna make a whole video on exactly why I did it. But I, if you're out there and you're shooting with the Z6 II and you're like, oh man, or you're looking at the Z6 II. Um, I used the Sony a7 III, I used the Panasonic S1, I've used the Z6 II, I've used the Canon EOS R, so kind of that whole area of cameras, and in my opinion, the Z6 II is the best of those cameras. Okay. Um, I think that the Panasonic's offerings, if you really don't care about autofocus, you already have your Rokinon Prime set, and you don't want to change it out, mm. probably I'd take the S1 or the S5 over the uh, over the Z6 II, but um, just the handling on that camera, the weather ceiling, I'm, I, honestly, I've already missed the weather ceiling a little bit, because that was just insane. Um, how much you could trust the weather ceiling on that camera. Yeah, the Nikon Z cameras um, and their weather ceiling is really nice. So um, Yeah, but I started shooting my first real project with the S3 yesterday and was having a a, a blast with the 4K 120 and all that good, goodness. Oh, so, yeah. It's going to be a, a, a great update. Yeah, But this 150 to 500 um, could fit my budget because I don't really need a super telephoto that much. It's more of a... Uh, of a want than a need. So right. it may end up falling into my pocket just because it's a little bit cheaper, but not, not in the immediate 
in the immediate future. Uh, but continuing with uh, kind of the last Sony E, uh, or should I say FE mount lenses coming out, uh, Sigma is bringing out their own 35 1.4. So there's now two Sony 35 F1.4s, the Zeiss Sony one and, and then the, the G Master. Master. Yeah. There's also Sigma has a. I believe a 35, 2.8, 1.4, and 1.2, all for E-mount. E so it's just E or F E-mount. I do not understand this. People just must buy 35s. Like, and 35s are, are, are fine. It's never been my, my very favorite area to shoot, but I'm mostly a landscape photographer, so that may make sense. But it's just, this is so many. I mean, and this one literally kind of undercuts the G Master one, it's eight ninety nine, and mm -hmm. it's smaller and lighter even than the G Master one. So it's like Sigma is literally trying to show up Sony a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. And I know that Sigma is part of the L-Mount Alliance, and I'm kind of sensing that there's probably some tension there mm -hmm. between Sony and Sigma. I mean, Tamron seems to be, be have become just a just Sony lens manufacturer. They haven't announced anything for... Uh, Canon or Nikon in a while now, and no, they I, you know they keep saying that they might or that they're going to, but I wouldn't look for that in the near future at all. Mm -hmm. I feel like Tamron is settled into being, um, honestly, Sony's B line of mm -hmm. lenses. Like Sony's releasing the high quality stuff, and Tamron's taking care of their lower lower mm -hmm. tier stuff and their APS-C stuff. Mm -hmm. But Sigma, Sigma seems to be doing some things to undercut. Mm -hmm. Both Sony and Tamron. Mm -hmm. well, and, and I just they, think that's really interesting. And if Sigma brings their lenses to Nikon and, and Canon, just to build off of what you're saying, I've used the Tamron lenses. They absolutely do feel cheaper, more of that third-party experience right? with those right. lenses. The Sigma lenses do not feel that way. No, uh, no, they, they don't. They feel high quality. They have good autofocus. They're very sharp. Uh, they still have kind of a weak spot with weather sealing, I feel. Right, and um, their VR has never been... Sigma has never had a VR on a lens that I was like, this is great. Mm -hmm. Tamron has done that lots of times. They have, yeah. I just feel like Sigma's been doing incredible work for a long time, and maybe that's part of why Canon and Nikon are being a little standoffish with them. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Sony's obviously not... They're making tons of lenses for Sony. You know, the the weird thing is, is that even though this lens is coming out and a 35.14 is is a lens I would be somewhat interested in. I have a Rokinon 35.14 I've been using for a couple of years now. I love right, that right. lens, but it doesn't have autofocus and it's it's really big for what it is. Um, and, you know, I, I might be looking at replacing that kind of focal range because I shoot other people a lot. That's mostly what I do. And I, right, I feel right. like 35 is a, a perfect focal length for showing another person doing something that you're like with. So someone taking photos or repairing something or or something like that. Like you can still 
emphasize the subject with depth of field and they're still pretty large in the frame. It's not like a 20 mil, which is what we're shooting on right now. Um, but you still get that environmental feeling. So you kind of get that nice balance. So I am interested in this lens as well. It's kind of This funny. lens or would yeah. you go for the Sony G Master That's what one? I was going to say. I just have a hard time not wanting the Sony. The, the G Master one. The G yeah. Master. Um, yeah. or it's, even, it's pretty small and light too in and of itself. And it's not outrageously priced. Um, let's just hop, do our, our normal G master. I think it's for like 1398. That's what I think it is. Um, 35, 1.4. And everyone at the time when it came out was like, needs, should have been a one, two. Uh, yes, exactly what it is. It's 1398. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know my final decision with that, but right. Right. Um, cause I'm not making it right now. Uh, cause I'm also interested in getting the really small, small 1.8 Sony as well. I just, I kind of like the aperture ring and I like 1.4. So I guess we'll find out. Right. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. So, um, Sony has one other lens that this is an actual Sony lens. And if I were still shooting Sony, I would be very excited for the 14.18 because I always wanted that, uh, I always wanted that that Sigma Astro lens, but it was always so big and so expensive. I never could quite justify it, but I just felt like, I mean, I said I even said Astro lens because I think that that's, you know, as a landscape in Astro, like I take a lot of Astro photography. Mm -hmm. Like it just, that sounds like such a nice lens and it's so small and light. Like mm -hmm. that has been the issue with, with ultra wide primes like that is up until now, they're always huge. So it's a huge investment. So if I'm going on a backpacking trip, you know, which is when I do most of my astrophotography is on mm -hmm. backpacking trips, like it's always a decision, you know, to bring that ultra, that big, heavy ultra wide. And I, you know, used to bring the, that old Nikon 1424. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was decently big. Like it always was a chunk in, in my bag. And I've shot with various other ones, but it's always been like, you know, but now, like, for an astrophotographer, that lens is a no-brainer just to stick mm -hmm. in their bag. It's small, light, super sharp. It seems to do stars really well from, from the reviews that I've seen. Mm -hmm. So that's one that, you know, I would, uh, I would be very, very excited about. Probably pressing that pre-order button mm -hmm. if, um, if I were still shooting Sony. Uh, right now, I've got the Z7 and the 1424, which is... Very small and light. That mm -hmm. lens is very, very, very small and light for a 1424 zoom lens. It's like, mm -hmm. it's kind of unreal. No, so, it's just a stop less light, but you get just 24. Right. And I get, I get 24 and everything in between. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it would, it would be a toss up, but you know, it is just fun that Sony has, has some of these, these G master ones. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a 16, which I actually think is a great prime area mm -hmm. but i think what they wanted to do is that and it makes total sense they're like well a lot of people already own the 1635 gm and mm -hmm. we don't want them to choose between you mm -hmm. know so we'll make them go ahead and get the the 14 mm -hmm. and the 1635 because actually 14 is quite a bit wider than 16 mm -hmm. um it feels quite a bit wider yeah those wider focal lengths like one millimeter is a is a sizable deal yep. like it, it's, it's adding a, a lot deal. or taking a lot away from your frame um and 
Yeah, I mean, as from my perspective, it's it's a it's a lens that Sony kind of needed because Canon and Nikon are just releasing really exciting lenses, um, either really really sharp or, you know, both of them have um, some lenses that Sony, you know, maybe hasn't released as exciting versions of. So Sony being the first to the fourteen one eight game for the big camera manufacturers, right? That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and I I would imagine that. Uh Canon and Nikon are probably going to add this one too. Um, Canon may even try to go wider. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Because they have that 15 to 35, which in a lot of ways strikes a great balance for a um, for a wide angle lens. It was huge. It was huge. Mm-hmm. So it it was it was big for backpacking um, for what it what I wound up using it for most of the time. So mm-hmm. anyway, that is our lens roundup. Um, and, you know, there's some stuff on the horizon. Apparently, Nikon's going to be coming out with something um, in the next couple weeks, lens-wise. We don't know what it is. I'm praying that it's a 100 to 400 mm-hmm. or the 200 to 600, probably the 100 to 400 more so. But uh, would you, which would you pick? Like if, if, let's just say that the difference in size and weight was negligible. Which would you pick? Well, the difference between size, I mean, we've seen their like outline, their profiles, like the mm-hmm. 200 to 600 is going to be similarly sized to the, um, the Sony 200 to 600. Mm-hmm. Um, which large. would I pick? Um, I, I, you know, I, I might wind up at the end of the day picking the, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't know. I think it would come down to, I think I would trust that the image quality on the 100 to 400 would be outstanding. Mm -hmm. Um, The 200 to 600, just because of my experience with Sony again, with those, those zoom lenses, it's the, the 200 to 600 on Sony on the A9 was money. That was, it was really good on that 24 megapixel camera. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But when I put it on the R4, it just did not hold up. The autofocus wasn't great, and then it just the sharpness was really far behind. So, I think that has me a little gun shy of two hundred to six hundreds. I mean, like there hasn't been a Nikon Z lens yet that I thought was subpar image quality wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if if they can get the twenty four to two hundred travel zoom as high quality as it is, mm-hmm. um, which it's really really high quality. It's slow out of two hundred. You know, mm-hmm. 6.3 at 200 is, is slow, but the quality is just so amazing for mm-hmm. landscape. So, you know, I, I don't have to hesitate to bring it instead of a 7200, you mm-hmm. know, and that's really nice. Um, but so that has me optimistic, but I feel like I would need to know more about the 200 to 600, whereas I'd be more inclined to go ahead and pre-order that, uh, that 100, 100 to 400. 400. So, yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at there. Yeah, both uh, both Canon and Nikon are, are missing those uh, telephotos, which is just they they don't have one hundred to four hundreds or two hundred well, to six hundreds. Canon has the one hundred to five hundred. Oh, the, of course, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. They released the one hundred to five, which is a incredible lens, um, and that's what has me feeling like that that the Nikon would be too, because both Canon and Nikon's new lenses have been amazing. So, probably to answer your question, very roundabout, the one hundred to four hundred Nikon is probably the ticket. Right, probably it. Yep. All right. So before we move into the main event, um, well, there's a lot of stuff this week. There really um, is, man. P- 
Panasonic did some things, and, and OG viewers of this YouTube channel will know that I used to shoot the Panasonic S1. Um, and randomly, like, this must have been, what, like almost three years after it was released, 2018? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Panasonic releases a firmware update that adds internal 6K. Um, 2019 came out in in spring 2019. Okay, spring 2019. Yeah. So it now shoots internal 6K, and they also added the ability for the S1 to shoot uh, Blackmagic RAW to a Ninja V, and that combination definitely makes the S1 S5 relationship make a little bit more sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because the S5 was basically better than the S1. Um, and then they do this. And I mean, it's more of a toss up again. Internal, well, they're kind of identical, right? Because doesn't the S5 shoot internal 6K? It does not. Oh, so the S5 oh. shoots, uh, shoots 6K raw external. So they both oh, okay. shoot the same raw external, but internally the S1 has an advantage. It's the S1H that shoots S1 internal H 6K. Shoots. So yeah, it kind of puts it right in between the S5 and the S1H. Yes, it does, okay. which okay. makes sense. I mean, it technically is um, between the two. So, I mean, that's obviously really cool. Certainly doesn't make me want one. <laughs> um, right, right. Uh, want one again, because it's still the the reason I got rid of it in the first place wasn't that I wasn't happy with the resolution. It had to do with the autofocus. All right, so um, over also Panasonic has announced that they will be releasing the GH6, but that's all that they said. No other details, nothing. Honestly, part of me just is like, why? I mean, I guess I can start to see an argument, but at this point, Micro Four Thirds just, it really is outdated. I feel, I feel like that there's not as much of a place for it anymore. I mean, let's just say that you were a GH4 and a GH5 shooter. You have a bunch of lenses. You've shot tons of product projects with it. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want to switch systems. You don't want to switch out. And I mean, another thing to remember is, is if you're that person, all your Micro Four Thirds gear has lost a lot of value. I mean, it holds its value okay, but not right, like right. Canon or Sony. So it's a bigger pill for you to swallow. So I, I feel like there's enough GH5 shooters that this needs to happen. I just right. think that if you're shooting with a GH5, you really need to... You, you need to take a lot of time to think about doing this or, or taking the hit now and getting into an S5 or a S1H or, or looking at other camera companies. Because keep in mind, besides like menus being the same and colors being similar, right? Um, right. Your, your Micro Four Thirds gear does nothing for you with. Um, yeah, in uh, in the in the L mount in the, in the L mount yeah. alliance. So no, I mean that's it's so true, and like I guess like what I struggle with with Micro Four Thirds is that I know a lot of people really enjoy the small and light aspect of it, and I definitely think that has a place. And it's certainly not like the image quality is unusable for stills, right? Mm -hmm. And, and for video, too, I mean, like, it was, like, the GH5, the GH4, and the GH5 were groundbreaking cameras and were essential for the industry. So Micro Four Thirds definitely, 
Like, I don't want to just brag on Micro Four Thirds. I think my point, though, is is that I, I'm concerned that it kind of reached its ceiling with the GH5 mm-hmm. as far as what it's really, truly capable of. Like, in order to get down, I mean, in order to get, like, 6K and and 8K, you're upping that resolution on that tiny sensor. Mm-hmm. It can shoot, like, 5.5K right now, something like that. But yeah, you do have yeah. to... Because 16 by 9 is such a narrow aspect ratio and micro four thirds is so tall. It's almost a square. It does cause issues with just like, I mean, it it absolutely causes issues with how high a resolution the sensor has to be. Um, Right. So to me, being an X four thirds user, I used the GH5 for like Mm -hmm. nine months or something. Mm -hmm. And I switched a lot out of concerns for the future of the platform a lot of the reasons why i switched um and it was autofocus i mean right well uh, and then i used i tried out for a time because i really wanted to feel like i knew in my head that the small and light wasn't worth you know the image quality trade-offs so i mm-hmm. tried out the the panasonic g9 mm-hmm. because i'm like you know for what i do with with what we do small and light and the capability you know that uh, I, I tried out the the 100 to 400, which is uh, mounted to a 200 to 600, and then I had um, several other lenses. And I'm like, you know, for the size this is in my backpack, that's incredible. But I ultimately decided that the image quality was not up to what what mm-hmm. I needed. Um, and it was, it, you know, it was kind of sad. <laughs> I was disappointed. Like part of me wanted it to be this revolutionary thing, and it wound up not really being for for what mm-hmm. I needed. Um, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, what Panasonic has to do with the GH6 is they have to understand fully that it's, it's a video camera and Mm. I mean, they can move the stills forward, but I just, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a winning, um, recipe for the GH6 is to, to really support the video features very much. I mean the stills features. Excuse me, the, the stills, feature, stills features too much. Right. I think that they have to, you know, give it a stills function. That's great. Everybody wants that. But I think that they really need to um, understand that the people that are really buying this camera are buying it for video. Because if the, they could do something groundbreaking with this camera there's kind of one frontier that everyone's kind of dodging around and and not quite hitting on the nose except for black magic and that's raw recording Mm. and we know that panasonic has access to black magic raw and black magic raw has a number of because they can shoot it on their uh, other cameras raw external but not internally okay um and black magic raw has the advantage of being this sounds like an oxymoron compressible you can compress black magic raw that's the whole idea behind it okay Uh, so you can shoot 12 to 1 you can shoot i believe like 6 to 1 4 to 1 and that just means the file sizes are going to be smaller and Mm. that platform is going to be easier to edit but you still get a lot of that color freedom and additional dynamic range that you expect from a raw format okay um so what they could do with the gh6 
is they could basically say, well, you know, you all loved the Blackmagic Pocket 4K. Everybody did. All right. Let's stabilize it. So put their stabilizer in there. Um, let's have it shoot 6K or 5.5K raw, basically. Uh-huh. Keep it at 20 megapixels. And um, frankly, shoot Blackmagic raw. And that, that's kind of it. I think that's what it should be. Because you're giving your GH5 users an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're giving them something that, you know, probably isn't really going to get out of date because people's phones and TVs aren't gaining resolution that fast. So as long as... I mean, as, that's true. As long as you have about 4K, I think you're probably pretty good. Um, and you have something compelling to adapt to, which is how a lot of people use their GH cameras. So you could buy it as a... If you're shooting with Canon EF glass still, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you could um, absolutely use this camera with a speed booster. Um, or if you're using Nikon F mount glass, you could. Obviously, if you're using any of the mirrorless mounts like myself, it's it's not, you'd have to buy a whole separate lens system for it. Right, um, right. But uh, I think that that's the direction to go. Here's the thing, though. My prediction is is they're going to up the resolution and talk about how great of a stills camera it is. That's what I think is going to actually happen. Yeah, I'm concerned that that's what's going to happen, too. Because for whatever reason, Micro Four Thirds seems like they really believe that they're going to be able to get stills photographers to buy in eventually. They just keep throwing everything at the wall. Right, well, and then there's a certain genre that that do, um, but... I just feel like with with what you can get now in, in full frame and, and even medium format now, mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel like, you know, when, when we're on, when we have a medium format camera out that is reasonable to acquire and use professionally, you know, for, you know, any kind of shooting, right? Pretty much, except for maybe sports and wildlife mm-hmm. with the uh, GFX 100S. But for, you know, weddings, landscapes, anything like that, it's very user-friendly. You know, when you have a huge sensor like that now on the market, it just those smaller sensor cameras, they got that much smaller, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just feel like that's going to just continue to happen. Like as as the full Mm -hmm. frame gets even more capable and even smaller, you know, Mm -hmm. like... You know, if you want a small and light system now in full frame, you can totally do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can totally do a small and light system. And it wouldn't be, it'd be similarly sized to, you know, the same size. Maybe not exactly, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you you know, have you depth of field benefits and, and fat and speed benefits and all of that. So I just feel like it, it's, it's a hard sell. I understand maybe why Panasonic feels like they need to, but... You know, part of me wishes that they, if they want to stick around, that they had put the R and D into into their full frame and continued because their full frame has stuck around better than I would have maybe thought. Mm-hmm. It's kind of chugged a little bit, but it's it's a little bit behind, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's plugging along like it didn't die immediately, like uh, you know. And I I feel like we probably are going to see the um. S2 and the S2R probably. I mean, this firmware update concerns me a little bit, but mm, they're just mm. squeezing everything out of the S1 and the S1R and the S5 in order to continue to sell them. But it, it 
also may just be that as far as Panasonic's concerned, if they can do it, they need to do it just mm-hmm. to keep. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is an issue where they're needing to keep people so that they can release their S2 with phase detect autofocus. Let's all let's all cross our fingers and hope. Yep. Um, and uh, release the S1 or the S2H and the S2R and the S2 and um, the S5 Mark II. I have no clue if they're going to do Mark IIs or if they're going to do up the number up the number yeah um but those cameras are built extremely well um yes they're big they're definitely big the s5 kind of backed off on that a little bit Mm -hmm. but they're fun to use they are fun to Um, use they're they're great cameras but autofocus is a fundamental thing about image quality like it is like it's being able to get your image in focus is in the end, probably the most important thing right, when it right, comes to for image sure. quality, like having the right thing in focus, just because it doesn't matter what kind of quality you're shooting in. If it's not in focus, it's not a good image. Um, so to me, I feel like the fact that they're behind on that specific thing, they're, they're in and micro they're four way thirds. behind that. They're not just a little, like we talk about the difference between the Nikon Z cameras and the Sony and the Canon with the tracking and everything, mm-hmm. right? But the difference is, is that the Nikon Z cameras are, you know, you could still use them and they're getting better. They're actually getting another firmware update to get even better. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's at the level like the A7R three was at, you know? Mm-hmm. So like not that long ago, it was great. It would have been like great, you know? Mm-hmm. I would argue that the autofocus on the Panasonic S1 and S1R isn't even really usable like it's like it's the difference between like usable but not as good Mm -hmm. to being like this really isn't usable um and especially for video but in stills too like the tracking and the like it has a really cool interface for the eye tracking and it looks like the camera is Mm -hmm. and then you would take shots with it and it would it would miss quite a few Mm -hmm. just because the 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 phase, it's not phase detect autofocus. It's all contrast. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard for it to to uh, to really keep up with with what phase detect and what dual pixel can do and mm-hmm. and all that. So yeah, I if they if the main line feature of the uh, the Mark IIs on all their cameras is that they have phase detect, it's going to change the game. Mm-hmm. I. Um, and maybe Sigma does it, maybe Leica does it. I mean, it's the L mount Alliance. So there's multiple cameras and, and that would right, unlock right. all of those lenses. But, um, until that happens, it's, it's really about what Fuji and Canon and Nikon and Sony are doing until, until they get their autofocus up and running, but be, be watching Panasonic because they could go from the bottom of the pack to, the top pretty quickly. Yeah. Panasonic has a, a reputation for bringing features being, I mean, they were the first to really bring 4k out, Mm -hmm. you know? And at the time that seemed like, wow, 4k, who needs 4k? And then now 4k is the standard. And that was because of Panasonic Mm -hmm. and like some of the machine learning stuff that Canon and, and Sony are using in their autofocus systems. I mean, like Panasonic was first, they just didn't have it in phase. They didn't implement it mm-hmm. in phase detect. And so it just doesn't work as well. And then I, it is, it's not, the contrast is just, I don't think ever, unless they get like an M1 chip or something, 
<laughs> in in there and like are able to do the um the calculations and all that at a crazy speed i just think feel mm-hmm. like phase detect is always going to be superior and you know uh sony uses hybrid phase detect so mm-hmm. it's not just phase detect it uses contrast too it just mm-hmm. uses phase detect to help um get there it helps phase detect to get in the area and then contrast to refine mm-hmm. and uh and panasonic is relying 100 percent on contrast so if it doesn't get in the right neighborhood sometimes it just doesn't get anything right so mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's going to be really interesting to see what they do but the the gh6 i guess it's coming and we'll see maybe the gh6 will be the camera they release phase detect on and yeah wouldn't that I be mean, something who knows wouldn't that be something all right well, it, the time has arrived, I think, to finally talk about the big boy. The, that is, no, e, go ahead. The EOS R3. Yeah, the EOS R3. The camera no one saw coming. I think more was that everyone was expecting it to be called the R1. And mm-hmm. Canon's like, nope, it's not the R1 yet, which is very interesting. It seems as though the consensus is that an R1 is still in the works. This just isn't quite up to R1 level, so I don't even know what they're planning for the R1. But yeah. it's a great big gripped body. That we the, Here's what we know. We know that it has a new back side illuminated sensor like the A1, A9 series from Sony. We know that it will shoot 30 frames a second. Um... What else do we know? What else do we know for sure? It has, you know, it's gripped body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has full dual pixel CMOS AF, uh, AF um, autofocus. So that kind of puts to rest the debate on whether this new Canon flagship camera would be doing the quad pixel autofocus. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what the, the A1 is going to be. Um, no, the R1. The Yeah, the R1. Sorry. Um well, we don't know the resolution. We don't know anything about video specs. Not nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's well, it has that eye control AF, so it mm-hmm. uses your retina to look around and select the autofocus point, which is something that the EOS three, three. yeah, just the, the EOS, EOS three. three, yes, EOS three had, and and the reason why everyone's jumping on that there's going to be an R one is during the film era. Canon right at the end had the EOS one, EOS three, and EOS five. So they're they're thinking that that Canon is just going back to that naming scheme. I guess we'll see, um, and we'll I guess we'll also see how long it takes the R one to materialize. Like is the R three it for three years or it, like I think a it, few it months, I think know? it might be it for a a, a generation. Mm-hmm. I feel like Canon. Is I mean, Canon's still Canon. I think we forget that, that Canon's still Canon. I think they've done enough to, like, people are like, oh, Canon is, like, completely... I think they're still Canon. I think they still look at... They even said in this release that this R3 will be be positioned between the R5 and the 1DX Mark III. Mm -hmm. So I think that they... That we get the R1 when the... At the end of the generation for the... Uh, 1DX Mark III, which would be, what, three years from now? Mm-hmm. Two or three years from now? I mean, they do update the the pro-level bodies fairly often. And it, well, is, it is a year old now, so... So, I think... Well, isn't it... It's, it's about every four years. It's, it coincides with the Summer Olympics. So, it would be three years from now. Because, mm-hmm. 
I think if that's my guess is that we will see the EOS R1 three years from now mm. and that this R3 is going to be their flagship camera. Now, I think the big question in my mind is um, like, you know, when they pre-announced the R5 like this, they kind of uh, tipped their hand to the, the resolution because they said 8K. You can't mm-hmm. shoot 8K at under 45 megapixels. Um this, they did not tease 8K. We have no indication whatsoever what the resolution is. Canon Rumors claims that they're thinking that it's going to be higher resolution, but of course they don't know that, mm-hmm. um, similar to the A1. So I think the question is, is, is this camera a competitor with the A1, or is it a competitor with the A9? Mm-hmm. Or is it uh, just supposed to just not be better than the 1DX Mark III. Like, they're just finding... what They're going to find a way to make it not better. What would be that way? I mean, already. I mean, what the, what they have announced, it seems like it would be better. 30 frames a it second. Could, it could be 18 megapixels, so it could squeak just underneath it or something. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm honestly more on the, on the side of it being a high-resolution camera that doesn't mm. have great video specs, that has fine video specs. Interesting. So you don't think it'll have... Great video specs. Okay, well, well I guess that would make sense. The A9, the A9 hasn't. It's been good for video. Like, I'm not saying that the R3 won't shoot fantastic 4K. Right. I'm just saying that within this price bracket, it's right by the C70. It's just sitting right next to it. And, you know, even if it is $1,000 cheaper or $1,000 more expensive, it's in Sony's, Sony's, Canon's cinema line competition price zone. pricing zone yeah and i i just like do you put 8k in the in the r3 and make the c70 completely well redundant do you but do we know that the z9 that's coming from nikon we know it's going to have 8k which means it's going to be 45 megapixels so we know that nikon is is, is bringing a lot with that camera like they're they're counting on it bringing mm-hmm. and that's a lot. why i think the Canon's R3 needs to have at least 30. I think mm. if it has 20, it's it's it might actually be a great camera and sports and wildlife photographers might be fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it would be a marketing disaster if they released a $6,000 20 megapixel camera when Sony has the A1. And, and Nikon has the Z9. And Canon has the R5. I mean, right. honestly. Right, yeah, so, exactly. I think that it's, it's like, I think a lot of people have kind of been postulating that what it's going to be is, is the A1 direct competitor. And I just, I think it's, it's more of an A9 direct competitor, but I don't think that you can get away with 20 megapixels. Well, but what if it's 20 megapixels and $4,500 gripped? That 30 frames be, a second. I mean, that would be really cool. I don't See, think anyone like, can I, I'm like, like, what if... What if it's less, way less expensive than what we're thinking? Like, what Could if it's be. forty-five? Like the the uh, the A one sixty-five hundred. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the Z nine will be sixty-five hundred. They'll be exactly the same price. But this R three brings a lot to the same things to the table. Thirty mm-hmm. frames a second, but it's only twenty megapixels. But it's forty-five hundred to five thousand. Like maybe even just five thousand, fifteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. cheaper. Like. Oh, I don't know that, that, you know, I, I feel mm. like it wouldn't get too bashed for that. Wouldn't get too bashed for that. I do feel like the, the functionality added to the Z nine and the a one 
would be difficult to argue with. What about this for a concept? What if we actually think about it more like this? That the R3 is an R6 Pro. Like you could rename it the R6 Pro. Mm -hmm. And then the R1 is the R5 Pro. I mean, I could see it. I could see it. I think that the they're still going to run into major comparison issues. I just, mm -hmm. I just, I think it sounds really cool, but it's just important to remember that you're $1,500 away from a Z9 and you're $1,500 away from an A1 and you're still over a thousand dollars more than the R5. Like it's in this weird zone where you're really buying it for the 30 frames per second you know, at 20 megapixels now, the the nitty gritty details of how the autofocus works and right. all of that well, but, are going to be the final deciding factor. But. Right, but I would argue that that you're maybe doing that not slash not doing that right now with the A1 because I think that 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 Sony will come out at a camera that has the resolution of the A1 and the 8K of the A1 and all of that stuff. I would argue that that camera's coming, right? You know, it may be the R5, it may be something else, mm -hmm. but like it took more compete directly with the Canon R5. So I feel like in a lot of ways, even if you're buying an A1 now for those features, like you'd be able to get those features in the not too distant future in a lower tier body. I mean, and but that the 30 frames a second is ultimately the thing that, that makes it super expensive. It's 30 frames per second at 45 megapixels though, as opposed to... 20 in this in this comparison. I mean 50, it's 50. A1's full 50. It's 50. So it's it's 50 versus 20 and that's that's a lot. Like Yeah, I, no, I hear what you're saying I'm, for sure. I'm picturing myself going to I don't know, Yellowstone to shoot wildlife. And right. my kit budget is like 15,000 or something. Like you need a lot of money <laughs> to you get even talk about these cameras and lenses. Right, right. Um, it's like 15, 20 grand for my system. Like, I really want to be able to get that that extra resolution because about 20 megapixels has been where these pro bodies and these wildlife photos and these sports photos have been. So if I'm wanting to do something new where we can print, like, a triptych or something of a buffalo or whatever. Right, right. right yeah, like Something like I'm, that. Like, I'm going to be excited about getting 30 frames per second at 50 megapixels if I'm coughing up that kind of cash. That being said, it is important to notate here that it wasn't just the R3 that was announced. They are releasing an RF 4028 and 600F4LIS to go with it. Right. Now, they're just the EF mounts converted with like a built-in converter. Right, so weird. Um, because they had just built these lenses and I think that they needed to use them for a few more years, use the well, designs. And okay. There is, and there's something else funky about it that I think is funny is that they took out the, the window, the focus distance window. Oh, weird. I'm like, there's no, there was no reason to take that out. Like it's not suddenly focused by wire. They're the same lenses. They're there. They have. Yeah. That's so weird. why did they take that out? I, I don't know. It must it, just be a design language thing. Yeah. I, I just, know. I feel like you might use it. Like if it would, if you used it before, why wouldn't you use it now? I don't know. That was so, kind of funny to me, but that's weird. That is weird. But the fact that they have those lenses so far, Nikon doesn't have those lenses. 
that does help uh, this does help as it, far help. as like Olympic now, shooters. Now those are lenses are on the Nikon roadmap again, and they and may come out. They I mean, may come out just like it with like they may be the lenses that were teased for you know in the next couple weeks. Um, the Nikon rumors guy does not know. I think his best guess right now for the Nikon lenses is that there's those pancake ones mm-hmm. that the super small, not super fast prime lenses that seem to be very popular right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very kind of strange. I mean, I don't want to go too, too far off on a tangent, but that to me is, 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 is a strange trend. Just the like F 2.5 50 mils and stuff that keep right, coming out. Right. I, I don't know. Like that's just kind of weird to me, but um, I think that the, the, R3, I think, I don't necessarily think you're wrong that it's an R6 Pro. I'm I'm just saying that as a hypothetical. I don't know what I, I don't know what I think. I really, I I could, I go all directions. I I go whether it's an A9 competitor, it's an A1 competitor, it's, it's neither, it's both. Like, I don't know. It could be a video, it could be video focused first. Like it, maybe it shoots raw internal. Like who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it could be. Um, But they didn't announce 8K. And that's a very strong point that you made. I do think there's a part of me that wonders if the reason why they didn't is they already did that whole thing with the R5. So they're just kind of like, well, I mean, we don't yeah, want people paying attention to Yeah, but it does seem that. it does seem weird that they wouldn't tit for tat with Nikon there. Mm-hmm. And then just also just like, oh yeah, the A1 shoots AK, the Z9 shoots AK, guess what? The R3 is going to shoot AK. And they didn't do that. Mm. And so that's a little, that's a little sus, sus as the kids are saying mm. nowadays. What if it's literally ex- in every single way, exactly the same as one DX Mark three. Everything's the same. The screen's the same. Essentially the button layout's the same. The resolution's the same. It just, but it, it has shoots back- 30 frames a second and has the back sensor. Now it's not below the one DX three at that point. At least in theory, but maybe there's some other weird thing like they just don't rate it as high weather ceiling or whatever, whatever Canon believes it's top of the line. Yeah, needs. I mean, I could see, see that, you know, part of me wants to believe that Canon has moved on from Canon ways, mm-hmm. but that sounds the most Canon, you know, like mm-hmm. historical Canon, because like, I understand that the R5 and the R6 were amazing cameras, but we still do, like I was just saying a minute ago, like Canon is still Canon and they're going to mm-hmm. do something Canon, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that would be the most Canon thing to do. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, the 1DX Mark III isn't, certainly isn't bad. No, it's not. It's not bad. And in so many ways, like the the live view mode on that camera was better than the, than the DSLR version. So maybe right. what makes the... 1DX3, the pro camera, is it natively mounts the 100, I mean, excuse me, the 200 to 400 or something. Like that's right, that's in their right. head. That's the, the deal I mean, breaker. I could, I will, and it would make sense a little bit. I mean, like we know that's kind of what they what they did with those lenses. They just put an adapter on it. So mm-hmm. maybe they're just putting an EVF and adding the backed sensor so that it, it really, mm-hmm. so it's not being outclassed by the 8.9 because the, the truth is, is that, like they can say this isn't their top of the line, but they know that the A9 and the A1, but just just the A9 in and of itself is outclassing for sports photography the 1DX mm-hmm. series. It just is. So they're like, we're going to stop the bleeding on that. 
Mm-hmm. So that there's an RF camera that's at least as good as the A9. Mm-hmm. I could see it. I could see it. And I, I really think that the thing Canon needs to be careful of is if it really doesn't compete with the A1 and the Z9, they need to price it in a way that it shows, even if it doesn't matter. If it's $6,500. And is a little worse? Is twenty is a lot worse in my mind. Right. Then you're in big trouble unless it, it rocks certain, certain. Well, I think they would look at it as, as like, again, the, the point's been raised before that, that, uh, that Canon and Nikon, part of their behavior is very frustrating to us because they are selling to their own customers as much as they're selling to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So we're like, come on, sell, sell me on it. Like, you know, I, I'm a Sony shooter, sell me on it. Like, mm-hmm. but that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to sell. Canon is looking at the base users who are using one DX Mark twos and Mark threes. Mm-hmm. They're like, please stay in Canon. They're like, looking at Peter McKinnon. They're the, <laughs> Peter McKinnon. Um, they they're like, please stay in Canon. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're a professional wildlife sports shooter. Please stay in Canon. Don't go over to Sony. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, don't do what uh, Paul Nicklin did. You know, which that was a huge get for Sony because he's one of the most high profile ultra pro classic photographers Mm -hmm. and Sony snagged him. And I think that Canon was like, you know, bare minimum, we will give you a mirrorless version of what you have in the 1DX. And Mm then. Well, and I do think that within those, within those ranks, there's probably a lot of people that just, they have 20 megapixel workflows and maybe they just need canon to give them this camera i don't know i don't know and then it's hard to say i'm not going to be shocked if it's the same specs as the a1 exactly and then it was just it's just a flex that it's not their main pro body Mm -hmm. they're like oh wow sony that's your one Mm -hmm. this is r3 you know yeah i mean i could totally see that too so like that's the other side of this coin is and we again we just don't know mm -hmm. i think the not saying 8k is sus yeah, I mean, I guess unless what they really wanted people to focus on is the 30 frames per second thing. It's just we know that backed sensors have some quirky things. And right. Sony's kind of ironed out those quirky things with the A1. Yes, but it seems like largely, the, yeah. The A9 II, I believe, correct me in the comments if I'm wrong about this, um, that still doesn't shoot log internal. Does for not. video doesn't nope. shoot log because of something with the the way that the sensor worked and then the a1 comes out they like doubled the resolution and solved that problem so i don't right. really know it would exactly be hard to was, believe but. that it took sony this long and they they i think they have way more sensor development resources it took sony this long to get a backed illuminated i mean not not a back illuminated but a backed with a backed sensor mm-hmm. just a regular backed sensor with the processor right on the back of the sensor and get it to 45 megapixels. When they even admitted, they're like, we're sorry that the A92 doesn't have higher resolution. We couldn't get it in the body yet. It's mm-hmm. not ready. So for Canon to have their first backed one match the mm-hmm. R, um, the A1, excuse me, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's Unless Canon had that technology and just wasn't using it, I mean, that, that would have to be what it would be. They just yeah. were afraid to use it because of banding issues or... I mean, that's really what we're we're looking at here is like, well, did Canon solve the banding issue? What's right. the mechanical frames per second on this thing? I mean, people care about that stuff. They A1's do. Just 10. They do. Um, and 
there's there's a lot of places where Canon could could make a compelling argument. I do think that Canon needs to be careful. I think Canon still needs to be careful because the R5 sh- was almost a home run. Almost. Yes, it was. But the the overheating issue, something that doesn't even touch on what 95% of users would really be using the camera for, totally flipped the narrative on Canon right. and handed Sony a huge win when they released an 8K camera that didn't have that problem. Right. Um, so I think that Canon needs to be careful because Sony is the most popular camera company among prosumers and they're the ones who I think you can trust to be buying cameras in 10 years. So man, you're spot on there. Yeah. Um, anyway, I guess we'll just have to see. We'll be talking about it more. We will be talking about it more. I'll have to get um, Brandon on the show and see if he's tempted. He'll have strong opinions. Yeah. It'll be he'll strongly have, Sony, Sony tilted. If you enjoyed this uh this podcast this video if you could hit the like button it helps us a lot and uh subscribe for more great content like this we just uploaded three videos um not very long ago all about the z7 II. so if you're interested in the z7 II and a lot of information about it uh go check those videos out and uh with that i think we will see you on the next adventure see ya bye bye